Hello, hello, and hello, everybody! Welcome back for another episode. If not now, when? Today, oh my goodness, I am so beyond excited because you all are in for the trip. Today, we have incredible guest Curl on the show today. And if you don't know Curl, which you really should, Curl, he is an innovator. And also, serious entrepreneur. He founded four company. Oh my goodness! He hold more than forty granted patents and services. And he also really、uh, supporting nonprofit. He's on board for two NGOs. He's really passionate about innovation and technology, and really focusing on solving the human most pressing need and issue. Today. Ah,、uh, Carl. He is a founder and CEO for Mobis Arrow. Currently, ah,、uh, is a one of the founding members building an all-electric Formula One air racing plan. His vision really is to create a cleaner, a safer, and more sustained technology for all humanity for the future. With that, everybody, I am just so so excited beyond beyond honor. Thank you so much, Carl, for joining us, and welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here.、Yeah. Yes, Carl. So you know what you sounds just wow, incredible. You're working on highly sophisticated technology. So tell us, how does it all begin? What is your background? Well, I had a.、Uh... A little bit different、uh, path than most people. I、uh, grew up in a very agrarian,、uh, very、um, low-income environment.、Uh, at a very early age of eleven and twelve, I became the primary income for a family of six.、Um, and、uh, my brother, who was just a year younger than me, he and I were the primary source of income until I、uh, until I asked my parents to leave when I was nineteen. And so、uh, I finished、uh, raising my two younger siblings,、um, and、uh, and kind of had to figure out my path、mm-hmm. um, from there. And so the one thing that that environment did for me is it taught me the value of hard work.、Mm-hmm. It taught me the value of improving myself to get out of some of the hard work I didn't like,、mm-hmm. and it taught me、uh, how to persevere. So、um, that's that's like so. Really, the the key was is I wound up having I missed my opportunities to I'd earned some scholarships,、mm-hmm. um, but I lost those my senior year, having to make some decisions to uh, um, continue to care for my family and or go to college, and I, I chose to to、mm-hmm. care for my siblings. So I wound up having to do it the long and hard way. But、uh, um, like I said, perseverance is the is the key in that factor. So, wow, talking、yeah. about. Grit. Talking about perseverance. Talking about hard work. Talking about truly a serve serving leaders and how you truly stand up and for the family. You choose a different path. That's incredible. So tell us, you did not choose go to college. Instead, you choose to take care of your siblings, your family. How do you end up being an entrepreneur, focusing on the the robot and the future facing technology? How does that even come about? I would I would have to say the fact that I refused to let go of my passions.、Um, I had to do what I had to do,、um, and so I wound up doing a lot of manual labor, a lot of what menial what people would consider menial work.、Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, in that process, I met some of the most intelligent people、mm-hmm. I will ever know in my lifetime.、Uh, um, I make the joke when I'm talking to engineers and prospective customers and partners. 
that uh, there's two people I will never get into an intellectual battle with. I will never get into a mathematic competition with a mm -hmm. machinist. Mm -hmm. And I will never get into a problem-solving contest with a West Texas farmer. That's all those two individuals do all day long. And wow. they are some of the most brilliant people I've ever had the pleasure of working with. So I learned a lot from them about mm -hmm. being a critical thinker and a problem solver. So really, you just have a passion for technology, for mathematics, and you self-taught everything? Yes, yes. I mean, clearly, um, I had other people in my path that I gleaned every ounce of information I could from. Mm -hmm. But that's that's where that uh, statement I made earlier about the long, hard path. So I had to, you know, I had to provide... I uh, had to take jobs, work multiple jobs, and provide income for my family while mm -hmm. using any time I could with uh, gleaning any information I possibly could to educate myself so that I could pursue my passions, which was which really is magnetics. I, I love electricity and magnets, magnetics, electromagnetism. Um, mm -hmm. I love mechanical machines. I like fixing things, making mm -hmm. things work, building things. So um, I just sought that information. I was very fortunate that I was born in the age of the dawn of the internet. And mm -hmm. so I had the Library of Congress at my fingertips for most of my adult life. Mm -hmm. And so that was a big, big benefit. I mean, there were universities like MIT who put their engineering classes online for free. Mm -hmm. uh, and while you don't get a degree, I got the information. So, um, you know, things like that where you're, you're you know, it's it's really being being capable of persevering through the upsets and the downfalls and, and keeping your path, keeping your eyeballs on the things that interest you. I just kind of fed my mind. Mm -hmm. And from there, the creative problem solving kicked in and took the, that information and, and developed solutions. So, mm -hmm. Wow, Carl. And I want to unpack a little bit. I can imagine there are so many nights, evenings, weekends, you're just spending in the library looking for information, searching and learning. And while working multiple jobs and, you know, trying to, you know, um, you know, supporting yourself in the family, I'm curious, how is it, how do you able to push yourself forward? Because we are just all 24 hours a day, right? How do you, is your time that you just don't feel like doing it? How do you able to, truly and really persevering and really despite the circumstance you still dedicate yourself you still put the hour in and really self-taught all those you know technology innovation and all that how, how does that like do, do you have a how do you motivate yourself well you know it's it's that's a that's a, a great question and i have kind of a, a funny answer to that uh i i will catch myself saying i always wanted to learn to play the piano or I always wanted to learn to play the guitar. But clearly I didn't because I put my effort into something else. Mm -hmm. And so it was a good idea, but it wasn't the passion I pursued. Mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, in this regard, it was the passion I, of all the things I wanted to do, um, gaining information and gaining knowledge was the one I actually pursued. So, mm -hmm. you know, between the internet and PBS mm -hmm. and the library, I was, I spent, you know, my time, I enjoyed the consumption of that information. And I, mm. and usually I was only learning what I needed to learn to work on a project that I was working on. So I would come up with an idea mm -hmm. and I knew I didn't have the knowledge or skills mm -hmm. to properly engineer or design that project. Mm -hmm. So then I got as far as I could until I figure out as many of what of the unknowns as I could identify. So mm -hmm. there's a famous line that there's, there's what you know, 
There's what you know you don't know, but then there's what you don't know that you don't know. And so um, you start off with the first two and you learn the third one along the way, uh, what you didn't know that you didn't know. And so mm-hmm. as I'm, you know, as I try these projects, as I try these builds and I mm-hmm. bump into these obstacles, instead of that being a barrier that stops me, mm-hmm. I have, all, and this is what I've always told my daughter growing up is when you hit an obstacle that seems insurmountable, it's just there to keep everyone else out. It'll separate you from everyone else. You overcome that barrier and it separates you from everyone else. And so that's how I look at it is I hit an obstacle. Like if I can overcome that obstacle, then I am one step further down Mm -hmm. this road for uh, down roads that few Mm -hmm. have been down. So, you know, I, that's what I, I just would, would, you know, I would take, this passion project, and then I would go and learn what I had to learn to mm. I love that. I love what you said about the obstacles and that just one pathway for you to be further along and truly, you know, shows that this is what you really wanted to do rather than just say you wanted to do. And I can also send so much love, so much passion in learning and, you know, com- continue to educate yourself and truly uh, follow through the passion, the heart. Um, with that, you know, now... Back to you, Carl. Now it sounds like you know you are working multiple jobs. You spend weekends. You 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 learn about knowledge, uh, technology, and all that in library in your spare time. What moment you realize you know what you have something special here? You want to start a business. How do you pivot from that mode, just learning for fun, to hey, there's something that I actually wanted to pursue and truly make an impact in this world? Yeah. Well, you know that is a. Um... Um, I, I, I guess terrifying is a little bit of a strong word, but it is a very uh, intimidating and 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 uh, in a lot of ways fearful moment when you mm-hmm. decide to take something from the hidden you know corners of your garage mm-hmm. and try to build your life and your funding and your financial support and your future around it. So, um, what the recipe for that is is I would find a hard time to tell you. I just know that I am not risk averse. Um, and so the, the one big thing is because I grew up so poor and because I grew up in such a, a really difficult environment, I mean, to give you an idea of the environment I grew up in, I was the first male in my entire family to graduate from high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, my younger brother was the first of us to go to college and my youngest brother was the first of us to complete college. So wow. yeah, we, we were historically, um, not even high school, uh, you know, our, our, my, you know, my ancestors did not even have a high school uh, diploma. Um, and so it very poor um, in some ways embraced their ignorance that in, in ways that were disturbing to me growing up. Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, I was highly motivated to not stay on that path. Um, Why? And, uh, well, because it really was very unfun. <laughs> so I remember I was, uh, I was about 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if, uh, how much you or your listeners know about agriculture. Um, but there's the old school, uh, irrigation techniques that were especially popular in West Texas where land is really flat. Mm-hmm. It's in, there's a lot of wells. And so it was really popular where you dig what's called a bar ditch or an irrigation ditch. And they're five mm-hmm. foot deep and five foot wide dug into a V 
and they pump water out of a, they would pump wood, pump water out of a well, and then flow a little river, a little stream down these ditches. You put mm-hmm. a curved pipe that acts like a siphon, and it would siphon the water up into the rows of mm-hmm. the plants. And so those are bar ditches, irrigation ditches, and they would fill with silt after a few weeks of irrigation. And so we regularly had to go through with hand tools and clear, we'd have to hand dig the ditches and then hand clear the ditches, uh, depending on on how mm-hmm. long it had been. And that was one of the jobs that my brothers and I got sold to doing quite often by our father. We were kind of traded around to the other farmers for for labor. And so um, I remember I was 14. We'd been out there since 530 in the morning. We weren't going to get picked up till about six or seven that night. Um, 112 degrees outside, you know, we're, we're digging ditches and, you know, we were, if we didn't have a certain amount done, uh, when my father showed up to pick us up, he was very unhappy about it. And so we, we were, we were working as hard as we could to avoid the consequences of that. And, and there was this one point where, you know, we're thirsty and we're tired and we're hungry and, you know, it's, no one's going to show up for hours. And I, we, we sit down and we take a break and, and I just, you know, tears come to my eyes and, you know, you don't do that out in this environment. And my brother, who's a year younger than me, he hits me. He's like, dude, what are you doing? What, 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 what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Like, dude, I just, I can't do this the rest of my life. I'm 14 and I'm already done with it. And, you know, I'm looking at, at 40 year old men who are still doing that work with us. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do this the rest of my life. And mm-hmm. in that moment, I decided I was going to pay whatever price. If I was going to work hard, mm-hmm. it was going to work hard to be doing something different. <laughs> it was <laughs> to not be doing that. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of honor in that work. And I'm proud mm-hmm. of the work I did, but mm-hmm. I knew it wasn't a long-term solution. Um, and so uh, that that those experiences motivated me to pay any price I needed to pay. Mm-hmm. And that because I had nothing to lose, mm-hmm. I was just not risk averse. Like I'm not afraid. I've, I've had some people tell me, well, if you don't take my offer, then, you know, you're going to be, you know, this is going to fail and you're going to be homeless and blah, blah, blah. Like, you don't understand that doesn't motivate me. Pain and suffering are my bedfellows, man. I'm not afraid of that. So, you know, I'm I'm willing to turn down any bad offer. I'm willing to persevere mm-hmm. through any trial, tribulation, funding shortage, mm-hmm. you know, financial setback, technological setback, mm-hmm. legal setbacks. They don't they don't they're just another obstacle to overcome, like I mentioned before. It's mm-hmm. that doesn't mean I don't have my moments where I'm, you know, mm-hmm. wishing I could curl up on the floor, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So there are the we all have those moments, but the the difference is, is I stand up and I'm like, nope. No, that's not, it it knocked me down, but it's not going to stop me. And so you get up and you just keep going. And I learned that from, from Mm -hmm. kind of that, that desperate environment I grew up in. Wow. Carl, I can just imagine all those challenges, hardship, really almost serve as a pathway for you to really take off your career as entrepreneur with all those challenges and what a pearl, which is so incredibly inspiring. So, so now, you know, back to you, Carl, tell us, you know, how do you start your business? So, um, I had this particular motor technology that I had been, I'd had the vision of, uh, 15 years earlier and I'd been tinkering with it in my garage and really going to scrapyards and buying you know, dead machines and, and disassembling old hard drives and doing whatever I had to do to get the parts I needed. Um, and then one day I realized I'd gotten it to the point to where it was working 
And mm-hmm. it was a technology that had, um, had significant, it was a significant change. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it took me months. I mean, I sat there and looked at it and tinkered with it and played with it for maybe even over a year. And before I finally decided, okay, this is, uh, this is something I should pursue. And so I started, I, I didn't know anything about launching a startup. I had, okay. I had worked for large companies. I'd led large teams, but that's a completely different world than, mm-hmm. uh, taking on entrepreneurship, especially when you don't have any support structure. I had no support structure, mm-hmm. um, uh, nowhere to fall back. No, I've never had a plan B, which is part of the motivation to not quit is I don't mm-hmm. have, <laughs> I don't have a choice. Um, they, they tell a story about the, 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 uh, commandos back in world war two when they were, let's say they were inside uh, enemy territory, getting ready to blow a bridge. One of the first thing they would do is drive a stake in the ground and chain themselves to it. And that way, if the enemy showed up while they were working, they knew they couldn't run anyway, so they finished the job. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it was a way to not not panic and not run before the job was done. When you're doing a job that had to be done or mm-hmm. the people behind you were going to die, then, you know, it's like the, the mm-hmm. common story is they were blowing a bridge to stop enemy forces from getting over to the, to mm-hmm. the allies. And they would stake themselves to the ground to make sure the job was done. And when they finished the job, then they could pull the stake out of the ground and run. And so, uh, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes that that's what I had to do is I had to know, you know, that's where not having a plan B comes in. I had a stake driven in the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was this, this was the only plan. And, uh, and so I'm not necessarily saying that that's wise in all situations, but that's, that's really, um, that's really what it came to. And so, um, I thought I can't do this alone. Um, and I actually hit a major life shift that was not my choosing, and, uh, and, and so there was a lot of things in upheaval. So it was one of those things, well, where I'm, at, I'm in a risky situation to start with. So I might as well, um, take advantage of it and, and maybe refocus my target. And so I kind of went to my friends and family who were around me and I, I said, Hey, this is what I've done. Let me show you what I've done. Um, I'm interested in pursuing this as, as a technology company as a startup and they all believed in me uh, enough to come in and provide the initial support Mm -hmm. to get Mm -hmm. it launched and a couple of successful uh, prototypes later, you know, we were able to go out and get, get more funding and and here I am. Mm -hmm. So tell us more about that. Tell us more about currently the technology you are building. Yeah. So um, I've developed a new type of electromagnetic motion uh, device. So we all commonly call them motors. And so, uh, the electric motor market, uh, most people don't realize that 60% of the power consumed in the U S is consumed by an electric motor. And so you can imagine at that scale of power use, even small improvements in the way a motor operates and motor efficiencies has a huge impact on our energy consumption. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an idea for a brand new way of using magnetic paths to produce the motion and torque that an electric motor is for. And and really, my motor is kind of a hybrid between a transformer and a motor. It, it's, it's not really a classic motor, although it does produce a motoring effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so it's it's a device where we've fragmented or broken the magnetics up into really small pieces. 
And as a result, I was able to eliminate 80 to 85% of the steel mm. normally used in a motor. Now, there's a lot of misunderstandings about what the steel in a motor is really for. Because uh, mm -hmm. motors, electric, common electric motors, are just giant chunks of steel. You've got a giant chunk of steel that rotates. That's called the rotor. Then you have another giant chunk of steel outside that. It's called the stator because it's stationary. And then you wrap the rotor and the stator with cores and or you put some magnets, depending on the type of motor, and they push and pull magnetically off of each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, normally when you see something that's bi a big, heavy chunk of steel, you think it's because, well, that's what the steel, that's the steel you need to support the forces or loads that that device is supposed to handle. And mm -hmm. that's true in most every situation except for a motor. In a motor, if you look at the shaft of the motor, that's the only thing that's really been sized for the, the power load. All the other steel in the motor is about being the conduit for the magnetic fields that are required to producing those forces. And you call that back iron. And so you have to have a closed loop of magnetic field going north to south. Um, and so, um, the steel is there to manage the amount of magnetic field that has to flow through that motor in order to get it to work. What I was able to do is break that steel up into a bunch of smaller components, which could handle the flow without all of the extra steel. And so I got rid of what's called the back iron. And now, I mean, there's still a completed loop, but it's self-reinforcing where that back iron really isn't a wasted electromagnetic field anymore. It's put to use because it's, it's the, it may be the back field on one component, but it's the primary field for another component. And so by doing that, I was able to reduce the steel by 80 to 85%, uh, meaning I have a motor that's mostly hollow and can be mostly made out of lightweight components. Um, as a matter of fact, I have a, an example here for the those looking at on the video. Um, this right here is the world's first and only paper motor. So this motor, now this part here at the bottom you see is the base, a stand. But this is a motor that's made out of 85% medium density cellulose fiber, which is glorified paper. It's also cabinet grade MDF. If you're curious, wow. so it's just a uh, matter of fact, I pulled that MDF out of a trash bin uh, at my buddy's shop. We pulled it out of his, his waste bins and made my motor out of it. Wow. Yeah. Carl, first of all, it's obviously you are, you have so much passion, so much love at what you do. And you obviously a doer and you love to, you know, truly creating something that you're so proud of. That is incredible. So tell us, Carl, what, what drives you? What motivates you? Why this company, why this technology is so important to your heart? You know, like I mentioned before, I've always been passionate about uh, electromagnetism and, mm -hmm. and, and mechanical machines, period. So a motor is a unique device where it's electrical and mechanical. And so I get both of those passions rolled into one device. But I've always just known that there was there was a, a more efficient way of doing what a motor does. The, mm -hmm. the, the physics are all the same. Um, it's just uh, how do we organize it to make it more efficient at doing that and make it stronger, lighter, more energy efficient. And so um, I, one of the things I do is I, don't, I, I, I try not to start from the same point everyone else has started at. And I try, even though it's important, like I, I, I use the work that people did a hundred years ago, 150 years ago, 180 years ago. Um, they, there's these pioneers like Faraday and, and Tesla who, and Lenz who produced the research that, that provided us the information to use these electric machines today. 
Um, but rather than making the assumptions that everyone else um, made in the uh, in in their pursuits, I I like to stop and and take kind of the fifty thousand foot view and go, what are the very very basics? Mm-hmm. And and maybe the way they did it's the best way, but I won't know unless I try other pathways mm-hmm. to it. And that's really where I started from is, is there, is there a way to make this more efficient or to do the same thing uh, along a different direction? And, you know, people have this saying um, that's, you know, we'll think outside the box or that person thinks outside the box. Um, and I look at it much differently. Um, you know, when I was a kid, everything I put in a box died. <laughs> I, 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 I never understood this box idea, but I think a better analogy are ruts. So I don't know if you've ever lived on a dirt road, you know, growing up in agricultural communities, most of the roads I grew up on were dirt roads. And so after a heavy rain, then you have these big, heavy trucks that go down the roads and they push four, six, eight inch deep ruts into the, mm-hmm. the soft, muddy soil. And those ruts make hard channels when they dry. And the most dangerous thing you can ever do is drive in someone else's ruts because your wheels are captured. It's like, it's like being on a rail car. Mm-hmm. If you're on a train and those rails mm-hmm. are broken and go off in a ditch, guess where you're going? You're going yeah. in a ditch. And so if you're riding in someone else's ruts, you're going to go in the same ditch they went into. Yeah. And so I try to forge a new road, even if it's bumpy and hard and slow and mm-hmm. rocky, like I'm going to try my own road. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think what happens is people drive in the ruts of everyone else who's done it before them. Well, they're going to wind up in the same place that person ended up in mm-hmm. and they're going to say, well, see, this is where it gets you. And it's like, no, well, you were driving in their ruts and it doesn't mean that they don't wind up in a right place, but you wouldn't know that if you didn't try a different path. And so that's what I, I try to look at multiple different mm-hmm. paths. And that's what I did here is I tried to reimagine how do these magnet at the root level, mm-hmm. how these magnetic fields work. And that's wow. where I came up with the the concept of of the uh, dual stators in the motor. So um, that means that there's an inside and an outside part that doesn't move, and then the rotor operates in the gap between those two items. And that, um, but it does it in a way that's very unique. It, it treats it again more like electrically. It's kind of like half a transformer and half a motor. So. Wow, Carl. First of all, I really appreciate that analogy. Really just I can imagine those rods that you're mentioning and how people possibly can follow that rod going to ditches. And I love that uh, beautiful way how you think about problems, how you really can reinvent the page in your own path and really um, be creative solving the problem. So, you know, Carl, you, obviously you're so passionate about what you do. And I'm curious, you know, now take a step back here, you know, what, what legacy you want to leave behind? The goal of uh, Mobius Aero is to move humanity forward. Um, and that, but that really is the goal. So Mobius Aero is a formula uh, air racing team. And it's an all, it's, we are a founding team of the new Air Race E, which is an all electric formula racing league. So we're, we're the only official team in all of the Americas. Uh, and I joined that as a way to demo our motor technology mm-hmm. um, to the world. It's really the marketing arm of my motor company, which is Muse Motion. And so, mm-hmm. so our goal at, um, at Muse Motion mm-hmm. is to develop the pragmatic technologies to move humanity forward on a multitude of platforms. And Mobius mm-hmm. is really our mobility expression. So all forms of, 
of, of mo transportation and mobility is mm -hmm. where we're focusing on Muse Motion. Um, and, and I'm sorry, Mobius Arrow. And so our goal is to, um, to, to use this technology to change all aspects of life. Mm -hmm. uh, to give you an idea of what our technology allows us to do is here is a shell, a 3D printed shell of a motor. I actually have this 3D printed motor assembled and in use in our lab. Um, but we are actually going to be building um, our airplane around the world's first and only 3D printed motor. And it will be wow. the motor that powers our race plane. And wow. Yeah. So this allows us to not just 3D print the majority of the motor, but eventually when we're into large run productions, we can injection mold those motors and really drive the, the price mm -hmm. of the motors down. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, our motor has uh, 10 times the torque and 30 times the quickness, meaning how quick can it accelerate mm -hmm. and decelerate than a same class motor. That impact, oh my goodness, I can only imagine. I think that future is not that far from us. Uh, you know, now, Carl, I'm going to back to you because you are a serious entrepreneur. This is the fourth business you started. I'm curious, now, every time you start a business, is it got easier? Now, as you have more experience, you know, you've done it many times. Like, you know, all the journey-wise was easier and easier as you start more businesses. Okay, it gets easier from an information standpoint. Absolutely. I've learned how to deal with the the legal documents and the filings and the papers and the the yeah. business diligence stuff that you have to do. But at the same token, I've learned what I do and don't want to do in forming a company and founding a company. And again, I do things much different than everyone else does mm -hmm. them. I look at it differently. And so, you know, I'm not doing a normal startup where someone's only goal is how big can I exit in how short of amount of time. I'm not looking for an exit. I'm looking to change the world. I'm using to I use my that. company and my technology to, to do that. Mm -hmm. Whereas mm -hmm. most startups are focused on how quick can we increase our valuation so that the founders and the in initial investors mm -hmm. can take an exit and sell to someone else, mm -hmm. which is perfectly fine depending on what your business model is. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it's learning about what I don't want to do as much as it is learning mm -hmm. about what I do want to do and, and how to do it. And mm -hmm. it's a, it's a huge um, learning curve when you come from no experience mm -hmm. in a startup, no experience in launching a company. Mm -hmm. um, but once you have that under your belt, then you get to start honing it and tweaking it and, mm -hmm. and learning, you know, I think one of the biggest lessons you can learn in starting a company is how to say no, how to what, how to say no. Oh, tell us more about that, Carl. So, just because someone shows up with money mm -hmm. and you need it doesn't mean that they're the right solution for your problem. It's so much more about who you're dealing with than it is what they're bringing from whether you think they're bringing money or you think they're bringing connections or, or access or even customers. Like who, who is the person you are getting engaged with? That's what you have to really worry about because a bad investor, a bad partner will wreck a great company because they will do things that set you up for failure because they're, you know, who knows what their motivations are. Mm -hmm. Often it's greed, often mm -hmm. it's greed or power. And so learning when to identify it, I would rather have 10 simple people who believe in us and want us to take, want to take it all the way across the goal line than one, what looks like big, powerful partner, but mm -hmm. they're really going to sabotage your real goals in the long run. And so, 
learning when to say no, or even to sometimes to a prospective customer is the hardest lesson to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that. I think, you know, being an entrepreneur, having the power to say no and really selecting the right partner, right investor, the partner, that's really, really critical. And, you know, Carl, I'm curious, what do you think, what made you so successful? Because I felt like along the journey, you have a lot of setbacks, a lot of challenges, but every single time you're able to step up, able to learn new ne- lessons, you're able to move forward. I'm curious, in your word, what made you successful? Well, the jury may still be out on how successful I am or am not, um, but I think uh, the reason why I'm here is perseverance. I just absolutely refuse to quit even when I really, really want to. So <laughs> there, we all have those moments, but I think the perseverance and the tenacity mm-hmm. to, and, and really the the intellectual honesty with yourself too mm-hmm. on, is this a fight? That I need to fight, and is this a fight I need to win? Mm. But you, you have to start there. Is what I'm doing really what I'm supposed to be doing? And so I would say, equal to the perseverance is the ability to pivot, to hit mm-hmm. an obstacle and say, is this an obstacle I overcome, or is this mm-hmm. an obstacle that causes me to reevaluate my path? I've had to pivot a dozen times. I've mm-hmm. had to. I thought I was going to be here, and then mm-hmm. I wound up going this way, and then it took me way over here, and eventually I'll zigzag back over to where I started. But mm-hmm. I was taking the wrong, I was cut, caught in a rut and I really needed to take a different path to get there. And so this air racing team, for example, never in a million years would have imagined this was a good idea, but it has actually mm-hmm. been a tremendous uh, growth um, moment for me. Um, I have a whole team of volunteers I couldn't hire if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, high level engineers, highly valued and experienced people who are coming in and volunteering their time, effort, and brain trust to helping us accomplish our goals. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be well willing to pivot, willing to evaluate your situation honestly, and then willing to overcome the challenges that are in your way. Carol, you're such a visionary. And I think that is one of the very important reasons that you are able to inspire, whether it's volunteer or team member or partner, to join your vision, truly create a future that you are uh, striving for, which truly admirable. So thank you. You know, Carl, I'm curious, you know, now looking back, I'm curious, would you, if you had this magic wand, would you, if you change, can change anything you want in life, would you do anything differently? And why? We all have things we wish we could do differently. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely. Um, but I, I think the thing I would most want to take with me, if I could go back, mm-hmm. was fearlessness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, uh, the sun always comes back up tomorrow. <laughs> and and sometimes I felt like the world was ending. And and I was afraid, and my body and my mind was racked with that fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and to learn to be more fearless. Uh, I, I'm learning it, and I, uh, unfortunately, that's something you learn from experience. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lesson with scars. But um, mm-hmm. if, if I could go back, I think the number one thing I would take back is, is to be... Um, to be more fearless um, and and to take time to think things through in those moments mm-hmm. rather than feeling like I had some false urgency to act on. So I love that. So now my last question for you, Carl, is, you know, as a fourth time founder and serious entrepreneur, and if you can share one advice to fellow entrepreneurs who are maybe about to start a business or maybe in the rock right now, what would you say to her or him? 
obviously everyone's situation is is different, but mm -hmm. the number one advice I can give is to be honest with yourself, mm -hmm. to look at what it is you're trying to do, why you're trying to do it, to evaluate if there's a place where you need to um, pivot, to, to readjust, to maybe do the same goal from a different angle. Um, instead of being locked into the rigid ruts of this is how it's done. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is, is looking at those people around you who, who, who love and support you with no strings attached. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and get there. You're going to get their input, but you have to decide in your heart what it is I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And there's a time to pick fights and overcome them. There's a time to let things go regroup and come back at it a different way. Mm -hmm. And so that um, having the tenacity to persevere through the lowest and darkest times, don't ever make a decision in the dark hours, never make a decision because you're not going to make a good one because you're afraid or you're exhausted mm -hmm. or you're exasperated. Mm -hmm. um, wait until you're at a place of peace mm -hmm. and then decide what you're doing. And if you have to retreat to a place of peace to get there, then do that. Retreat to a place of peace and then look at it honestly when you're at peace and then make your choices. Um, that's that's the best advice I can give because we're going to face troubles and trials and obstacles. So. Mm -hmm. Wow, Carl, that is so beautiful. I love what you said about pivoting, which truly is the name of the game in the startup world. I love we talk about people, mentor, people surround us are so important. But most importantly, find your own truth. Whatever that opinion it is, which one is more aligned with your own truth. And lastly, pick, you know, make your decision, not at the moment of the darkest night. Wait for the second day. Wait for when the sun is bright out, when you feel more aligned, more peace, and then pick your battles. Um, thank you so much, Carl. I am so appreciate you joining today. You have such a beautiful wisdom. Your perseverance, your story is truly inspiring. So thank you so much for joining and being such an open heart and authentic. Thank you so much. Thank and you for thank having you me. Of yeah. course. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. I hope you enjoy as much as I do. And I hope you have a magical week. Start your business. Start your side hustles. Because if not, now when? If not, you home. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye.